Hello, this is Andrea Nakayama, and today I'll be mapping satiety on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist, and this is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our clinical outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. In fact, that's the mantra of this podcast. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. And that's because I see all too often in clinical care that we coaches and clinicians can get stuck in the protocols and the targeted approaches, thinking that there is one fix for any sign, symptom, or diagnosis. In the realm of chronic care, this is unfortunately rarely ever the case. The situations we are often experiencing in our care are multifactorial, and it's our responsibility to step back, assess, and determine our best next steps of care appropriate for the individual and their confluence of concerns. That's why every so often I like to hop on the podcast with a solo episode with a topic that has piqued my own interests, a topic that I imagine you're curious about as well. You can find links to my previous solo episodes in the show notes at 15minutematrix.com, along with today's topic of satiety mapped on a downloadable matrix to look at as you listen. And remember that everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things do indeed matter. Before I dive in, a couple of things I want to share. First, this is going to be a two-part episode on satiety with the second part released in the new year. Satiety is more complex than you might think, and there's plenty for us to consider in this first part. Second, you may have noticed that through summer, we only released one episode per week to give the team a little break. We'll be returning to our tried and true two episodes a week from today onward. Now, let's dive in. Satiety is the physiological state of feeling fullness after eating. When functional, satiety leads to the inhibition of further food consumption, and this is signaled by that feeling of fullness. Fullness, I should add, is a sense of not being hungry, not thinking about food, and ideally comes with no pain or discomfort. In addition, there may be a sense of satisfaction so that energy and attention can be directed somewhere other than food or nutrition. Of course, this is not always the case for ourselves or our clients or patients, dependent on their history or relationship with food, food access, and even their body and body image. Satiety is influenced by physiological events that happen in the body in response to food intake as well as psychological and behavioral experiences. 
The physiological and psychological cannot be separated, yet I think we tend to over-index on the psychological and behavioral aspects of satiety, not just with our clients and patients, but also with ourselves. Let me add here that I'm not interested in a conversation about satiety for appetite control, although much of the research around satiety is related to investigations into what might be termed obesity. My interest in satiety is somewhat personal. It was initially sparked over a decade ago when I struggled to regulate my own blood sugar levels and stress hormone response. This was back when I was on a quest for what was changing so rapidly within my own body. It was in those years before I was able to determine that I had Hashimoto's, an autoimmune thyroid condition, when I was feeling stuck in the attempts to regulate not just my hunger, but at times my lack of hunger. More recently, while working with some case study groups for the book I'm writing, I encountered several patients who also struggle with, again, not just satiety and that feeling of fullness after eating, but even a sense of feeling hunger at all. And some folks may feel sated after just the tiniest bit of food, even when they know they need more. Their body is saying, stop. This is often termed early satiety and can occur in conjunction with other digestive challenges. In these cases, including my own way back when, some or several parts of the satiety mechanism seem to have gone haywire or become dysfunctional. So I wanted to dive back in and investigate the multifactorial reasons why this might happen. In this episode, we'll focus less on hunger and more on that feeling of fullness after eating, satiety, and of course, what to do to help the dysfunctional become more functional. There are five distinct but overlapping satiety-influencing categories that can impact feelings of satiety. And I'll note that I adjusted these from previous research done by both Blundell back in the 1990s and Mela in the decades following. The five different influencers that I've identified that are impacting satiety are the sensory, the cognitive, the digestive, the post-ingestive, and the post-absorptive. In this episode, we'll look at the first three. The first two categories, sensory and cognitive, are related to meal quality and our perceptions and expectations about that meal quality. So this is all about reward and pleasure and our associations with the food or foods eaten. The term sensory-specific satiety, often written SSS, relates to the decline in interest of a specific food in relation to foods not yet eaten and is often driven by habituation. This is the term that might be used to explain the desire for dessert even after feeling full from a meal or the inability to finish the veggies on the plate but readily reaching for that cookie or cake. In these cases, eating is first terminated due to a functioning feeling of fullness and then resumed when a new food is introduced, specifically one that holds a new cognitive interest, like sweets. 
From the research that I've reviewed, this same stimulus specificity can happen for those with memory loss, suggesting that this habit is more basic or primal than learned. And I love this because it means that there's nothing wrong with us for wanting dessert, even after we're full. It's not something we can or need to fix. And it likely means that we will want to find other ways to address that base desire besides abstinence or willpower, which we'll talk about shortly. Also, on the flip side, sensory-specific satiety is what keeps us driving for diversity in our food intake, which is a beautiful thing that can help us meet our nutrient needs and impact some of those other categories of satiety. So when we talk about eating the rainbow, we are meeting our cognitive and physiological need for diversity in our food intake. So again, the sensory and cognitive areas of satiety are related to reward and pleasure and our expectations around our food. Food is good. We should enjoy it. And that, in fact, would be my number one recommendation for addressing issues with satiety that are seated more in this area. Enjoy your food. Savor it. This is a great place for health history and intake questions surrounding meals, hunger, and satiety, as well as inquiry into what kinds of snacks or treats are readily available for themselves or others. I've worked with many clients who cannot have those foods in the house without consuming them, even when they don't seem appealing at the time of purchase. So in order to practice our crowd out principles, we may need to assess and address what's available during that habituated time that we seek a sweet. And crowding out may really be a key practice for our clients and patients if we know that they are habituated to want sweetness on the tongue after eating a meal, despite how full they may feel, what can we work to have on hand to address the desire without necessarily impeding other health efforts like balanced blood sugar and hormone or anti-inflammatory endeavors? And this brings us to our third satiety influencer, which is seated in the digestive system and which dovetails with the cognitive because we're still talking about signals sent to the brain. Whereas before we were talking about quality and diversity of the food, this is where we get into the discussions of quantity and timing. And quantity isn't about portion control. From a functional perspective, and when we're talking about satiety, we are speaking about the heart of the matter, which of course is the health and function of the gut. The stomach and intestines are going to stretch after eating and ideally activate both mechanical and chemical processes in order to digest, assimilate, and interact with food eaten. And many of the signals of fullness that travel to the brain to tell us that we're done eating emanate from the gut. You can probably guess where I'm going with this because we all know how important gut health is. Ghrelin, often termed the hunger hormone and a key player in our gut-brain axis, particularly when it comes to hunger and satiety, is released from the stomach and plays a role in both motility 
or the movement of food through the GI, and the integrity of the mucosal tissue. Disruptions in ghrelin production has a well-studied relationship to functional GI disorders like IBS. There are actually two types of ghrelin, making it a two-way street. It can increase appetite and it can decrease appetite. It can increase motility and gastric emptying, and it can decrease gastric motility and emptying. It can increase insulin sensitivity and receptivity, and it can decrease insulin sensitivity and receptivity. Some factors that are known to support ghrelin regulation are fasting, vagal nerve stimulation, estrogen, glucagon, and cholecystokinin, which is one of the other factors that impacts our satiety. Cholecystokinin, or CCK, is a gut peptide hormone. To back us up here, when we eat, the contents of our food and nutrients accumulate in the stomach. The majority of those nutrients travel onto the small intestines where they should trigger a number of physiological responses, including the release of peptides and transmitters that travel from the gut to the brain to signal satiety. CCK is one of those peptides. PYY or peptide YY and GLP-1 or glucagon-like peptide 1 are other gut-induced peptides associated with satiety. CCK is found in both the brain and the gut And there are receptors for the peptides throughout, in the pancreas and gallbladder, in the vagus nerve, and in several areas of the brain. Fat and protein are the biggest stimulators of CCK production in the gut, and that production stimulates actions of the gallbladder and again signals the brain to indicate fullness and satiety. A final note here about the digestive piece of our satiety puzzle is that the gut microbiota and imbalances in quality and diversity therein can impact the production and secretion of these gut peptides, not to mention impeding the effective communication highway between the gut and the brain. This means that microbiome health becomes another route to addressing issues of satiety. I'll be returning in a follow-up episode, part two of Mapping Satiety, to discuss the post-ingestive and post-absorptive influencers of satiety. Of course, this will also be impacted by gut health and function, and that's when we'll discuss glucose, insulin, oxidation, amino acids, and leptin, to name a few factors. In the meantime, in addition to our tactics for food pleasure and crowding out where necessary, our key takeaways from the digestive factors that influence society take us back to the mechanical, chemical, structural, and microbial support for the entire system— These are our circles of influence. When we optimize the GI with practices like chewing, optimizing both digestion and absorption from top to bottom as we tackle in full body systems digestive intensive, supporting vagal tone with humming, oming, and gargling, 
and working to repair gut mucosal and microbial integrity, we actually influence the mechanisms of satiety. As I've been saying lately, it's simple, but not easy. There's a lot to work on in all that I just casually mentioned, but the good news is that it brings us back to the gut, a foundation for so many other health benefits. So when it comes to the food we're eating, the mantras we want to think about are fat, fiber, and protein, and eat the rainbow, this gets our diversity quotient in and activates that ghrelin production, and remember to crowd out what isn't necessary for the body, and when we are thinking about the physiological realm of things, our first order of business is to heal the gut, quote unquote. Again, easier said than done, but it gives us a lot to focus on in our journey to health. Thank you for joining me on part one of our satiety conversation. I look forward to continuing this conversation and shining a light on the complexities of something that we take for granted until it doesn't work for us, a life factor that can shine that light on where to direct our clinical care and our self-care. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Alia Hale, Sandra Brower, Pamela Geismar, Evan Hollingsworth, Heidi Kaufman-Lakowitz, Denise Pasquinelli, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with many incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies this or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com or 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your client's issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.